Welcome everyone. This is Ann Shine, and this is another episode of my podcast. And it's a very special one. I have some very special guests from the class of the United States Naval Academy, 1959, and specifically Club 11, which is what they called 11th Company when my dad was there and when this group of Club 11 members were there. So thank you for joining me today, and it's going to be a great conversation. I see Telmo and my plebe year roommate, Clay. Hello, Clay. Haven't seen you for about 50 or 60 years. Where did you meet all these guys? Well, <laughs> I met them all in the, when the brigade came back after plebe summer. I did not know any of them at plebe summer. Okay. And I ran around looking for an Hispanic to help me with my Spanish, and I found Telmo, and we became <laughs> roommates. <laughs> That's awesome. Elmo got me through Spanish, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I so wrote again, the exam with, with Telmo's uh, input. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it. <laughs> That's good to know. He was a tutor even back then. Well, we, of course, we had our own little business on the side there. Oh, is our that what got you, the 99 demerits, or...? We didn't get caught. It's a good thing we didn't get caught on that one. But Telmo got busted June week. I don't remember what for. Yeah, oh. Telmo and I both got class A June oh, week. What'd you do? We had a fantastic outline for diplomatic history of the U.S. And we typed it up and had it mimeographed in town. And we had runners all over the brigade. And I think we were selling it for what, Telmo, three bucks? I think. I think he said we're three dollars. Yeah, it was it was two or three bucks was all. But then one of the brigade commanders came and said, uh, "You guys need to turn yourself in." So we did. Being honest fellows. Okay, Mitch, I have a question for you. Why do they call you Mitch? <laughs> I don't know. I think Telmo's the one that started that. Okay. <laughs> he he always had a little laugh when he was talking and. And he would right. break hey, up while he was talking. So he became Mitch. <laughs> Hi, David. Good afternoon. My first wife, Henry. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time uh, to be here with me and to help me record this podcast. I wrote a book for Naval Academy parents about hmm, four years ago, and I actually published it about two and a half years ago. And it's been very helpful to parents. I also have a website where they can go and I have a blog where I talk about things that help parents to navigate the journey at the academy, which of course did not exist when you all were there and parents weren't even that involved. But nowadays, parents tend to be more involved with, the, with their pleas. Subsequent to that, I started a podcast. And so I've been interviewing different people that can offer different perspectives. And I thought, A, it would be really cool to see you all together. And B, to meet the faces that I've known and heard about from when I was basically born. Because my dad always, always talked about all of you. I mean, I know Topo as Topo. David, unfortunately, I know you as Dave. And Henry is Hank to me and Mitch is Mitch. So I don't know what name my dad had and I don't want to know either. <laughs> um, so if you can each introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what community you served in and what your major was at the Naval Academy, because it's always interesting to see the major and how the major doesn't really have much to do many times with the community you end up serving in. Walter, Wynn, Topo, if I can have you unmute yourself and just give us a little bit of introduction. I think I'm unmuted now. Yep, you are. Yeah, I'm Walter Wynn. I, uh, all, first of all, all of us had the same major. We were in lockstep. The only difference was the language which we chose. That was the only elective and we marched to class and everybody did everything the same all the way through. So like Bill Posey, who is gone from us now, he had been in college for two or three years and he had to start over in freshman everything. So my major was the same as everyone else. We had a Bachelor of Science in nothing. And then I went into submarines. I graduated in 59 with all the rest of us and I went directly to diesel submarine Trout 
I got qualified in one year in submarines without ever going to submarine school, and I never went through the escape tower because it was always down when I went there. After a year, I went to Cornell for four years, and the Navy bought me a PhD, and my topic was reactor engineering, experimental reactor science. So from there, I went to nuclear power school. One of the first exams I ever failed was the math exam at nuclear power school because it was to describe the flux in a rectangular reactor, and I just wrote the answer down. And the question said, show all work. I didn't know I didn't have any work. I had it in my head. So from there, I was weapons officer of a Polaris submarine for three years, XO of an attack submarine for three years. I went engineering duty and spent the last few years, four years in the Pentagon of that. Two years was in a black project. Then I was uh, installing electronics equipment on uh, 637 class submarines for the last years. After that, Went to a company in Arlington, Virginia called System Planning Corporation and got into uh, stealth ships and stealth airplanes and radar cross-section measurements. When I left the company, I I came to Florida in 87 and moved up to Gainesville now where we live. Thank you. Thank you so much, Topo, and your introduction. So interesting, the submarine community. My youngest is actually considering submarines as we speak. He has to turn in his service selection when he returns to campus. Next up, I would like to see if Hank Moss, Admiral Moss, if you can introduce yourself. Am I good now? You're good now. All right. I measured in uh, extra duty. (laughs) (laughs) My preference number was like 770 out of our graduating class. I got the last job and the last destroyer in the fleet out of San Diego, and I took it. Had it not been for that, I probably would have gone aviation and not lasted very long because I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. After graduation, I went to uh, destroyers, as I mentioned, and I out of San Diego. I was on active duty for 35 years, four months, and 28 days. I learned that the Navy was not like the Naval Academy, which is a good thing. I retired uh, as the Commander-in-Chief of the Atlantic Fleet in November of 94. Next day, moved to California. Married my wife, Peggy, right after graduation. Had four wonderful children. Peggy did. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) I've become a... Very loyal graduate of the Naval Academy, although I didn't like the place at all when I was there. But I've been supportive ever since. Love the Navy. Still do. And I miss it. Since graduation, I've never had a job. I went, I've had a couple of startup companies involved in. in and I uh, was on corporate boards of some big companies. And I like that okay. Played a little golf. Won a few club championships. Shot 69 when I was 70. And I think you play, I think you play more than a little golf. And I'm very happy to say that my oldest and my daughter had the privilege of meeting you and Peggy when we were in California visiting other schools. And they still talk about you. You have great kids. Thank you very much. If uh, if I can go to David next, I'm just kind of going around and I'm saving my dad for last. So uh, David, if you can just tell us a little bit about your major and the service community and what opportunities you had in your career after that. Well, I thought I'd show you the child that you all met, Plebe Summer, and also the four years later at graduation, the guy that you graduated with. And Hank, I have to tell you, you and Peggy and I have changed. You and I have become older and she has become more beautiful. I agree. Topo gave us a pretty good description about why we didn't have a major other than our language. I had planned to talk about each one of the band of brothers. Well, there's nothing much to say other than the fact that I was a classmate of yours. I loved each one of you and for very special reasons. And uh, I miss each one of you. Let let me tell a short story about Dave Lacanina. We were roommates for... What, three years, right, Dave? And then the last couple, we had rooms toward the bottom of Bancroft Hall. And I guess it was our first class year, we would decide to have the best room in the brigade. So we spent a long time simonizing the deck, the desk, 
cleaning the place, washing the windows. And we had the most brilliant room ever in the history of, of Anglo Cabin, waiting for an inspection. And sure enough, about two weeks later, we were inspected by the OD and the inspection was on the door. It read, this is the best room I've ever seen at the Academy. However, Moss is on report for violation, having a safe, safe open. So <laughs> four, four demerits later. <laughs> oh no. I, well, had, that, I had the best room. <laughs> that happened to my oldest and his roommate. Uh, their room was perfect, but they forgot to turn on the under dust light. And so they dinged them for that. So Dave Lockerbie was a great roommate. We, uh, except he failed me once. When the class of 61, I guess it was, yeah, 61, when they were plebes, decided to throw me in a river. And we had a uh, 30 of them piled into our room. And uh, I tried to fight them off. I got no help from Lacanina whatsoever. <laughs> they bundled me in my sheets, threw me in the Severn River. This is like March or so, ice in a river still. Oh, my gosh. And they all disappeared. I dragged myself to Bancroft Hall. I saw those guys. Remember, remember Roger Anarmati? Yeah. Uh, he, he, died. Oh, yeah. he was the ringleader of that. The guy named Tim DeGarve was also a ringleader. Anyway, so uh, I said to them afterwards, did you throw me in a river? Were you in a river, sir? You know? <laughs> I, and I came to admire them for doing that. Uh, and I told him that. Thank you, Hank. David, if you can uh, continue, and then we'll move to Mitch, and then to my dad, and then I'm going to have you all unmute, and then we'll just kind of have a conversation with the questions I throw at you. Well, the only other thing to add, I guess, until the next session is that after graduation, I went to Pensacola and learned how to fly and eventually joined a, a wonderful squadron. We won the E for the Atlantic Fleet. We had the best reenlistment ratio in the fleet. And I served with a bunch of wonderful guys that I'll never forget. And I ended up with 358 carrier landings day and night, and I never scratched a plane. That's awesome. Thank you so much, David. All right, Mr. Mitch. After graduation, I signed, I signed up for the USS Thetis Bay, which had not been to sea for a long time, and that was just fine. But the day I got there, it never saw dry land again. And we went to the Aleutians, then we went down. We were the first warship in Vietnamese water supporting the Diem government, uh, which of course later fell. And I had a wonderful time there. I got transferred for a very brief time to a Royal Navy minesweep. There was an incident from the Royal Navy that was going to a carrier. I don't know, our commanding officers worked it out and I'm not sure it was legal at all, but it was great fun. Then I got transferred from there to a minesweeper in Mine Div 73. And I think Hank, at the time you were in the same mine division. So I had a great time with uh, the USS Inflict. I was executive officer for a while. And then I got transferred kind of crazy to this assignment and at the time they said oh this is so top secret if you even mention the name of the of the operation you're going to prison forever and ever and well anyway about three years ago i ran into one of the guys that was with me and he i said whatever happened to operation dominic and he said well why don't you go on google and look it up and of course there it was the whole thing i learned more from Google than I ever knew at the time. It was the A-bomb test um, ah. in the 60s down at Johnson Island. And I was the minesweep I was on was one of the monitoring vessels when the blasts went off and we had a bunch of scientists on board. I don't know what they did. Well, anyway, after that, I, um, I wanted the Navy to send me to law school. But as it turned out, there was a hiatus there for probably three or four years where the American Bar Association objected to having the Navy send people to law school. So I had to go into the reserve and go on my own. And then the day I passed the bar, I transferred to the JAG Corps and stayed in the reserves, never back on active. But the JAG, Navy JAG at the time, we didn't do the same drill schedule that line guys did. We kind of, there was a kind of an unwritten rule 
Navy would call and they'd say, well, do you want to go try this case? Do you want to defend this case? Do you want to, whatever the assignment was. Once I sat on the board for the correction of naval records, which was good duty, most of those were voluntary. And then once in a while, they would issue an order that was not, not voluntary. But one of the best duties I ever had, they called up and they said, how would you like to do an assignment with the State Department? Well, that sounds good. That's fine. <laughs> Interesting. What is it? Well, it turns out that the Cubans living on Guantanamo Bay, the naval base, had a community there, a beautiful living community. They'd come through the wire years and years before. They got married on the base. They had children on the base. And they grew old on the base. And the base commander said, look, I'm running a geriatrics home and I'm going to send these guys back through the wire. And of course, the State Department said, no, you can't do that. We have treaties that prevent that kind of, you know, they're obviously going to be subject to political persecution. Well, the Navy wasn't going to back down and the State Department wasn't going to back down. Make a long story short, I got in this little State Department jet and we went around to Caribbean nations and we placed 500 families as family units in these other countries. They had income, they had medical care, they went as it was a win-win all the way around and everybody was happy. Now that was good duty. And anyway, since then I've uh, tried lawsuits for 40 years, and in, in 2012, I decided that's a young man's job. So I today I do arbitration, mediation, and a fair amount of expert testimony and in insurance disputes. Thanks so much, Mitch. I appreciate your introduction. And last but not least, Telmo, Dad, it's your turn. I know that your your background's a little bit different because you were an international student sponsored by Ecuador to go to the Naval Academy. And then once you commissioned from the Naval Academy, where did you serve? What happened? We want to hear this in English. Well, uh, oh, in English. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, to complete uh, the whole story, I'm putting together a book. It's going to be The American Dream Ever Exist. And okay. then the journey of a legal immigrant to the land of the free and the home of the brave. You're going to have to wait a few months to <laughs> get the whole version. But uh, the thing that changed my life was the opportunity to attend uh, the Naval Academy. I was uh, a youngster at the Ecuadorian Naval Academy, and I had no idea that uh, I would wind up at the U.S. Naval Academy. I was ready to go on a training cruise. I had my sea bag and everything on the dock when the messenger arrived and said, sir, you are not going, you call back. I was selected to take the college entrance examinations as the basis to earn an appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy. That's the way the whole thing started. And uh, I was thinking today, based on one of the questions, how was the first day at the Naval Academy? And for me, it was chaos, crisis, misunderstandings, the whole bit, because coming from a little country to the big time, it, it has some consequences. What happened uh, when you were given all the stuff that you get, that was quite an adventure because my mind was trained in the metric system. They asked me about uh, my shoe size. I said, uh, 42. <laughs> <And> the, <laughs> the guy laughs and he says, are you a clown? Remember, at this point, my English was very basic. I said, I'm no clown. Yeah, but you sound like one. Like one. How can you have 42 size shoes? And it went on. The pants I used to wear size 60 in the metric system <laughs> and so on and so forth. But I, I went through the whole thing and everybody was either laughing or I was getting upset a lot of people. But the whole adventure, I will never forget. And a great, a great part of the adventure was the group that I'm watching right now. Back in, in the plebe days, the classmates used to be called 
wives. So I got two wives. I'm looking at two wives, Topo and Mitch. And uh, both of them contributed a lot to my good stay at the Naval Academy. And I always uh, remember all the things that we went through. You were asking about the, the locker, for, <laughs> but I had a purpose, not, not getting a suntan. I had enough already, but I did an electrical installation and I used to get after taps to study because it took a lot of study on my part to be able to get through. And then later on in life, when I graduated, I went back to Ecuador and uh, immediately I knew I was in trouble because I started to talk about due process and uh, trying to change things based on the training. And that didn't go too good with my superiors. So uh, a couple of revolutions after the second revolution, I had fulfilled my commitment and then I resigned. I married your mother and we came up uh, to the US where we have stayed for the last uh, 50 years or so. Some intervals, my specialty became international trade and I influenced on you to get a master's in international finance, which you did. I did. And you did it in four years, which was a pride for me. Then you got married and you had kids. And from the beginning, I started to take uh, Annie's uh, children since they were five or six to all the activities in the fleet weeks every year. They became like uh, part of the naval environment. Around March, they used to ask me, Gapa, when are the ships coming? And I took them, got on board the USS Truman as the first ship. She said, you know, I'm beginning to like the Navy that you've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And the net result is that uh, all three children went that way. And to me, I hope uh, I will live enough to see him get up to the top. <laughs> all right. I think I have talked too much. So I give it back to the moderator to see what she wants to do. Go ahead, Annie. Thank you, Dad. Thanks so much. I'll start with David and go to Topo. My question is, how long have you all been friends? How did you all meet? And I think Topo talked, uh, spoke about this a little bit earlier, but feel free to, to uh, repeat yourself. What have your friendships meant to you throughout the years? And I'm sure I'm going to add to my tears because I'm crying already just seeing all of you. So David, if, if you want to start. Okay, the first of the band of brothers that I met was Telmo. We met Plebe Summer, and I quickly realized that his English wasn't so hot, and my Spanish was better than his English. But it didn't take long for those positions to reverse, and I became the less literate. At the end of Plebe summer, we had parents weekend, and my parents attended, and I took them sailing and invited Telmo to go with us. The reason I asked him to go was that from the very start, I recognized something very special about Telmo, and it has stayed with me all these years. He is something very special. He confided in my mother while we were sailing, he said, whenever he says port and starboard, I don't know whether he means left or right. So that was a great st start for our naval career. At the end of plebe year, we went on cruise. Well, we went on battleships, he in New Jersey, I in Iowa. We met up in Portsmouth, England, went to Paris for three days, had a wonderful time. The next person I met was Hank. Hank asked me to join him and Gibby Smith, youngster year, in the room that he and Gibby had shared, which I was happy to do. Christmas time, I guess it was a youngster in second class year, Hank's parents, his father was in the army and they were stationed in Germany and there was no way for Hank to go home. So he came with me for Christmas and spent Christmas with my family. And my parents loved him so much, they adopted him as their third son. And Hank and I have always had this very close relationship. Around to Topo, we shared a, a train ride from Gainesville, Florida, back to Washington after a summer leave. There was no air conditioning. The windows wouldn't open. There were screaming kids running around. There was no place to lie down. But somehow we managed to survive. And I always admired Topo for a number of reasons. One, his intellect. 
he was so smart. When he said he failed a test, I couldn't believe it. Of all the people in the world, not Topo. Is an example, we had a professor, Mr. Lee, in electrical engineering. And for our final examination, everybody received some sort of a electrical hookup that they had to put the power to it, take a reading, make a calculation, turn in the paper. Well, Hank and I got a Y connection. I think he got a Y and I got the X connection. Very simple, should take about five minutes. We took almost a whole hour before we completed ours. Topo had a huge area dedicated just to him. It had dynamos, generators, things that I don't recognize, huge banks of lights. And he whirled through that thing in about 20 minutes hit the power, took his readings, made the calculations, turned in his paper, and Hank and I are still messing around with our simple little deal. That, that was Topo. We took an examination in aeronautical engineering, and he was the first one to finish it. Most of us were about a quarter of the way through. He got up and walked out, and I think he got a 4-0 on it. Next is Mitch. Mitch I love because he made me laugh. Also loved him for his intellect and his ability on the piano. He gave us many hours of wonderful leisure listening to him play the piano. He would stop by the room in the late spring and say, hey, Locke, let's go to the beach. I'd grab a towel and he and I would walk up to the roof and sunbathe for a couple hours. You asked me about my choice of service after graduation and I'll I'll tell you that my, my father was a wonderful artist. He was the first of the family to be born in this country. His brothers and sisters were born in Italy before he, and he was a, a well-recognized sought after artist. And as a nine-year-old fourth grader, the art teacher came and I failed a color wheel. And the next time she came, we did the apple blossom. And I studied the apple blossom very closely. And I finally realized after a number of attempts that only God could do an apple blossom. So I decided as a nine-year-old that I was not gonna follow in the family tradition. At age 12, we lived in West Palm Beach, Florida. And on Thanksgiving day, I ate too much turkey and, and was out in the yard trying to work it off. And there were four Navy F4Us. They were overhead West Palm Beach, four of them in a dogfight that lasted 20 minutes. I knew in my heart of hearts, they were doing this just for me. And that's when I decided what I was going to do. And I wrote to my two senators and my congressman. The two senators never replied. The congressman wrote me a form letter thanking me for my interest. And I thought, I'm in. So for the next five years, every time my picture or my name appeared in the paper for scholastics, athletics, Boy Scouts, church, civic duties, I clipped the uh, information and sent it to him in Washington. University of Florida had a big dance in West Palm Beach and I was invited because they all wanted me to go to the University of Florida and become an ATO. So I went to the dance and halfway through one of the young lawyers came over to me and he said, uh, Congressman Rogers is here and wants to talk with you. Well, I'd never met the congressman. So I went to the table and he said, sit down, young man. So I sat down. We talked a little bit and then he said, you must realize that in Washington, I have a great many files, but yours is by far the largest. And I have decided that if you can pass the examination, I will give you my appointment for this year. Happiest day of my life, Thursday night, went home. We had a celebration in the family. Everybody was happy. Saturday, Congressman Rogers was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, giving a speech when he passed out, hit his head on the, on the podium, was dead. And my, my papers had not been signed. Well, two weeks later, I received a call from his son. And he said, David, I have decided to run for office to fill the vacancy created by my father's death. If I'm successful, I will sign those papers because I know that's what my father wanted. If I don't win, he said, we're both out of a job. So for the next few months, I became a Democrat. I passed out bumper stickers. I shook hands. I did everything I could to get the guy elected. And he was elected. He did sign the papers. And he served over 20 years as a congressman. And he was really a good congressman. And because of him, 
I got to meet Temo, Mitch, Topo, Hank, serve with some really nice guys. And I hope that whatever you write will help people in the future. Thank you so much, David, for your perspective and, and for that background. Topo, you're my dad's roommate. I think he was Mitch's roommate. And I have a question about that for you, Mitch. Can you tell us a little bit about that 99 or whatever demerit? And what funny story can you share about you two being roommates? Our, our demerits were based on this uh, outline of youngster year history of diplomatic history of the United States. It was very good. It was really a very brief outline on everything. We typed it up and uh, mimeographed it and had it run off out in town and we stapled it together. And, and Telmo, because of soccer, had connections all over the brigade. And so we had runners all around and it wasn't uh, cheating. It wasn't the gouge on an exam. The only thing that was wrong with the whole thing is we were making money off of other midshipmen. And so they decided to give us exactly the number of um, demerits that we had already had to take us to 150, which was the most you could have. And so we were grounded for June week. <laughs> no. So, uh, we, while you guys were having all that fun, we mustered several times a day at the battalion office, and we were in charge of marching on the back deck and marching with the other guys or leading the marching and all of that. So that was our story of our Black Inn. <laughs> um, but youngster year, Telmo and MACD and I were roommates. And by then, we were authorized to have a personal radio and other equipment. So I brought my Halicraft shortwave radio because I was a ham operator. And so after Reveille every morning, Telmo and I would go back to the room and we would turn on the radio to listen in to Radio Quito <laughs> to find out who was the president that day. <laughs> So does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. It sounds like you had a, a great time. <laughs> my next question is for Mitch. I think my dad and you, Mitch, were roommates. Was it second class year, I believe? It had to be second class or second class year, year because so otherwise we would have been in serious trouble if we tried <laughs> to have our, our little beach so that's uh, what we I were... wanted to ask you. Can you tell us the story of the beach? Because I have well, heard that since I, I have, since I can't remember. We had a room that had a, what we called the moke locker. It was a pipe locker, but it was very good sized. I mean, it was, I don't know, tell me, you can probably remember better than I how wide it was. But anyway, we, we got some sand. I don't remember where we got the sand, but we brought the sand in and we had a sun lamp um and we had some refreshments too as i recall tell me <laughs> you can correct me if i'm wrong but we would charge like you know 25 cents or something or other for people to go in and, and get some sun on our beach in the middle of the middle of the bad times and we never got caught thank heavens because i suspect we would have had a serious class a if, uh, <laughs> if we'd been busted on that one i want to share one other little thing Please. which i know will be a great laugh for everybody i haven't seen most of my classmates because they were on the east coast the one that i've had more contact with than anybody else is hank uh, and of course, Hank and Peggy and I, well, well, we'll never forget the trip to New York. You remember that one, Hank? We went up with Buddy Wellborn and Hank and I and our girlfriends at the time. And I don't remember why we left so late, but the drive back to Annapolis to get there before the curfew was unbelievable and we got busted in wasn't it new jersey i think and we pulled over to the side of the road and took a collection or something whether to pay the cop the fine right at the time and we made it with 
literally minutes. But the best story, the best story about Hank that I can tell, that I know, Hank and Peggy were living in Newport Beach. And by then, I had become fairly good friends with someone who I'm sure all of us remember, Bob Cecil. And Hank and Peggy had a cocktail party. And Hank hadn't seen Cecil since the day we graduated, or since the day he graduated. And we knocked on the door, and I wish I had a picture of the look on Hank's face when he opened that door and saw Bob Cecil standing there. <laughs> I can't describe it, but <laughs> anyway, that's my story. For the, I, could, I could almost write a book about Hank, but I'm, I don't know if he'd like that very well. <laughs> well, Hank, it's kind of your turn. And I thought I would ask you and feel free to add another story, but I heard from a little bird that when you married Peggy, my dad had to play a role in that. Yes, he did. And, okay. and there's Peggy. So welcome, Peggy. Can you both talk a little bit about that? And please tell any other story that, that might come to mind about Mitch or David uh, or Topo as well. I, I don't think I heard the question. <laughs> well, we, we got married, what, three days after <laughs> you, you finished. And uh, so we went to get ready for it, and which was not too hard. And we were looking forward to getting married. And all of you guys came. <laughs> and but Dave was the best man. Yeah. But Helmo was the only Catholic. And so they wouldn't uh, let us finish until he came and put his name on everything. So he had to be like the witness. Yes, he had. And that's how that happened. Okay, perfect. That was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I have. I have a quick question just for all of you. I've grown up hearing about all the stories and all the trouble and not trouble that you all got into about being roommates, about the beach in the room, about, I guess you could say, study guide and getting the demerits and, and Hank and Peggy and David. And you're almost, you're almost like a part of my family because I've known you since childhood. What was it about this journey at the Naval Academy, that experience that helps forge those strong bonds? Well, I can and, say one thing. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, I had already graduated and I had a car. I was over 21 <laughs> and I could buy something to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I put it in the car and it was in the back there at all times. And <laughs> if I never got together with them, I just could open it up, have a drink. <laughs> Well, <laughs> Peggy went to church and dropped her driver's license in a collection tray at the Naval <laughs> Academy. And she became very well known by a lot of midshipmen. <laughs> she knew more mids than I did. That's right. I did. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I, I graduated a, a, just a year before he did. So, um, so I came all the way from California back there. And I arrived and it was cold and there was ice everywhere. And I was afraid I'd fall in high heels trying to walk through there. And Hank, so I grabbed his hand and he said, no, you can't touch me. You're not allowed to touch me. We, oh, was he in uniform? Yes. Mm. <laughs> so I learned a lot that day. I do have one story to say about Mitch. May I do that? Yes, of course. I was I was at the I was in command of a minesweeper, uh, MSO 466, in 1967. And mentioned before, I think I was unhappy with the ship's helmet boxes. Around the ships, they had these boxes that hold the helmets for topside people for general quarters. And mine were old plywood things that were falling apart. I told my gunner's mate to go get some new boxes. Work request. The tender turned it down. The shipyard turned it down. He couldn't get it done. And finally, I said, "God damn it! Get the boxes. I don't care how you do it." And about six of them needed around the ship. Well, I came back about a week or two later, 
And there they were, brand new helmet lined boxes with the grommets and hinges and everything. Perfect, wonderful. I said, I've discovered the secret of leadership. Tell them to do it. You don't care how it's done. <laughs> then I get a call from the corner deck. Sir, there are two men from the FBI to see you. <laughs> so I, they come up. They, they sit down in my cabin on, on the minesweeper and they read me my rights. Well, I have remained silent. You know, I'm a little nervous about this time. But they asked me, did you have, uh, tell the gunner's mate to go get the boxes? I said, yes, I did. Well, what he, the gunner's mate did was take ship's ammunition and trade it out to, to a shipyard worker to make the boxes. Not legal, of course. Right. And so now the FBI are reading me my rights. I'm, I'm in real big trouble. And I said to the FBI guys, what do you do now with the case? Well, we refer to the U.S. attorney and he decides. Well, the U.S. attorney, Phil, in Los Angeles, and Mitch was on his staff. <laughs> so I called Mitch. Hey, Mitch, find out what they're going to do with my case, will you please? <laughs> Mitch did some checking. Coming back to the You're okay. They've got a bigger fish to fry than you. And we got all, all the ammo back anyway. So I was safe. But I was, but Mitch, Mitch saved my life. You know, the funny thing, the, the real story behind that was the, the U.S. attorney was in the reserve with me and was a good friend. And I called him and explained what had happened. And he just laughed. He said, look, I've got some serious cases to deal with. And this one is going to the back of the filing cabinet, never to be seen again. And that, that was the end of it. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, Hank. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be uh, Hank Maw's Lieutenant J.G. retired. <laughs> uh, Commander, I'm sorry. I have a Mitch story. Okay. Um, I've heard a lot walking. of Mitch stories, apparently. Yeah. I was uh, wandering down in the uh, rotunda and I heard this fantastic music coming down from Mem Hall. And I went up there, and this was plebe year, so I don't know why I was even allowed to walk around, but. I went up and it was Mitch up there and he was playing. And when he stopped, I said, what was that? And he told me uh, what it was. I think it was a Rachmaninoff uh, showpiece. Well, after the first football game in Baltimore, we, uh, we left the football game after the, the, we sang the song and we ran all the way. I think it was to the Lord Baltimore Hotel. Wow. We took up position in the lobby at a big table. And Hank introduced me to my first hard liquor drink. I'd never had a hard liquor drink in my life. It was a stinger. And we sat and we drank stingers until I got to the point that I was in a euphoric haze. And I felt like I could do no wrong. One thing you learn as a midshipman going to football games in Baltimore was on the way back, do not sit in the rear of the bus with a window open because the guys in the front of the bus are barfing out their window <laughs> and it's barfs coming in the back windows. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> one, of the gangsters, one of the gangsters involved with the youngster bull gouge was a guy named Jack Langford who was in one of the other battalions. I didn't know Jack at the time but we later became good friends at the postgraduate school. And Jack showed up when the youngster bull gouge showed up in the trunk of a car. And it was my job to get the books out of the trunk, put them in the room and hold them for Jack, which that all transpired. And I didn't get any demerits. I think Jack did because he was a big distributor, but he ended up at postgraduate school. He was a helicopter pilot and was in a squadron that received, I think it was called a sea stallion. It was a great big helicopter that was capable of landing on the water. And it had a restriction that it could not be landed on the water at a sea state of over five feet. And one of the pilots ejected from a plane and ended up in the water. And Jack went to the scene and assessed the situation. And the sea state was eight feet, waves are eight feet high. and Contrary to his instructions, he landed in the water, saved the pilot, brought him back to the ship. And we were having a full dress inspection at postgraduate school. 
And I was standing next to Jack and he was sweating bullets. He thought he was gonna be drummed out of the service. Instead, they gave him an air medal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Annie, Annie, let me, let me put it to me. I noticed there's a reference to the University of Notre Dame. Yes. And I'm sure all of us remember the football game where in Baltimore, where we had to march under something and then onto the field. And all the good Notre Dame guys had white flour up above, which they dumped on us as we went underneath. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I think that actually was a pretty good game. If I'm not wrong, Buddy Wellborn scored the first touchdown. Dad, it's your turn. A quick, funny story, please. I have so many memories and uh, others that we cannot mention here either. But going back to uh, Peggy and Hank, great people. Hank was uh, the terror of the brigade. <laughs> so that's, that's why I, I called them up and was thinking about uh, for the appointment at the Naval Academy. And I said, hey, Hank, read them the riot act the way he used to do it to the other plebes. And I guess that's what changed his mind <laughs> because he was very inclined to go <laughs> someplace else. And uh, they're great friends. I was in the honor guard for their wedding and going back to their uh, friends. Uh, I had to serve as a witness because uh, Peggy is a great Catholic and Hank is not. So they needed some turkey to sign off on there. <laughs> and that's what I did. And then we went to an incredible wedding at the Sheraton Hotel in Washington, D.C. You're in my fondest memories for many reasons. And uh, going back to, to Mitch, yeah, he needed, he wanted to get some suntan because he was white as the belly of a fish, you know, and being next to me, Every day, he say, I'd like to have some of that tint. I said, well, let's set up a sun lamp, and you get in there. That's on the floor. This was right next to the head. And this big room in the back was the pipe locker, where all the pipes get together. And one day, I saw a door in the back, and I went over, and it was locked. So with my skills, I picked the lock. And I opened it, and it was a big black holder. And uh, it came back with a flashlight, and I saw what it was. It was a tremendous space. It had multi-purposes. And uh, one of them was some kind of drinks that you mentioned, Hank. In those days, you could not have an alcoholic drink within five miles of the state capital. They wouldn't sell it to you. That's one <laughs> that I never forget because... Mitch got all soused up. I saw him walking uh, sideways. So I went over and I said, come on here, Mitch. I know what your problem is. And took him to the room and put him to sleep. And then I went to the movie because they had movies on Fridays. <laughs> whatever. I don't know if Mitch remembers that. But, uh, I have no of memory of that, Till. Oh, no memory. <laughs> For the for the roommates and friends, if you had to speak with a with a midshipman today with a plebe, what advice would you give them to get through plebe summer and to get through the years at the academy? I would say just hang in there. This too shall pass. We all did it. You can do it. No big deal. Just try to stay away from the mean first class or even the third class like Hank. Uh-oh. <laughs> David or Mitch, any advice for the plebes, for the current plebes? Yeah, just maintain a sense of humor and don't let the bastards grind you under. <laughs> Amen. Stay out of sight to the extent that you can. <laughs> okay. And Hank, do you have any advice for our plebes or midshipmen? Do I have advice for plebes? Don't do it like I did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, Dad, do you have any advice for, for the pleas or for any midshipmen? I needed advice, so I'm ready to give it. Uh, okay, make it brief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's uh, like I said, uh, 
going to the Naval Academy and knowing not everybody, but the group like you, we have here, plus several others, oriented my life, gave me the ambition to keep on forwarding it. As you know, I wound up doing businesses all over the world and the persistence, dedication, the belief in God and the love of country is what moves the people the right way. I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for your example of friendship because honestly, just growing up, I feel like I know all of you, that you're part of family because I, I could just tell how much my dad just loved each and every one of you as a brother. And Peggy, you're included in that because you're part of the stories too. I'm a sister, and, not a... <laughs> yes, a sister. <laughs> and I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for having each other's back. I want to thank you for having my dad's back because I know at times it wasn't easy for him. He didn't know English. Oh, yeah. I wanted to just be here and to check in and say hi to everybody. And so good to see you. Glad we can do this. It's been a long time. You, you mentioned Telmo's difficulty at the academy. I have uh, several memories of that first few days we were there and he came in speaking only a very few words of English and the very first night he said did you put the alarm did you put the alarm and so that began Walter and and myself giving him some English lessons and lo and behold after four years he graduated number one in English and he deserves uh a big medal for that. I'm, I'm very impressed. Thanks for sharing that, Clay. That's really awesome. I want to thank all of you for being here, the members of Club 11 uh, that are with us today, and uh, particularly this band of brothers, my dad, Telmo, Walter, uh, David, Henry, Admiral Moss, <laughs> Mitch. Thank you so much for being here from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate all of you, and I appreciate everything that you've done for each other. For our friends who are listening to the podcast, I hope that you join me for the next episode in my USNA Mid Moms and More podcast. Uh, you can always find out information and read my blog posts on usnamidmomsandmore.org. The podcast is also available on Podbean, on Apple and on Spotify. So you can listen there. And again, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that this trip down memory lane is helpful and that it's fun, that it's brought a smile like it has to me. And it's just been great to see all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm.